This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. We also have an interview with Chris Colson, creator of Rent-A-Dinosaur in the UK. But first, we just want to thank all of our Patreon supporters. It really helps us to produce the podcast. We're starting to get close to a break-even point where we've gotten as much money as we've spent on all of our hosting and equipment and everything. So that's really uplifting. And we've gotten a couple new patrons in the last few days, which has been really exciting. Yeah. So if you would like to join the growing number, as of this recording, I think we're up to 15 people. Woo! You can go to patreon.com slash I know Dino. Let's make that number 16. Yeah. Or 20. <laughs> so we got to talk to Chris Colson, who is the creator of Rent a Dinosaur, and we talk all about it in our interview with him. But if you'd like more information, then please check out his website, rentadinosaur.co.uk. You can also learn more on Rent a Dinosaur's Facebook page or on Twitter at Rent a Dinosaur, and we'll be posting links to this on our blog along with a transcript of the interview. And here is the interview. We're here today with Chris Coulson, who is the founder and owner of Rent a Dinosaur, an exciting new company that actually just started three weeks ago. And Chris is already making waves. People know him as the Dinosaur Man. Pretty exciting. <laughs> So thanks for being with us here today, Chris. Hi there. So what first got you interested in dinosaurs? Like, what is it about dinosaurs you find so fascinating? Well, I mean, everybody loves dinosaurs, don't they? From a, an early age, there's just something magical about these huge monsters that aren't actually a fairy tale. They really did exist. And so you know, everybody loves dinosaurs from a very young age. But then recently I saw this, I mean, it's probably about three months ago that it all started. But I saw a YouTube video with one of the Walking with Dinosaurs arena show dinosaurs mm -hmm. in it. And I was just so amazed at the behavior that this, this puppet could portray. And I just thought, what a shame. I'm never actually going to see one in real life because it's probably owned by a film studio or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I just, I looked for other videos of the same sort of thing. And I eventually I found out you can actually buy these things. <laughs> and uh, then I thought, well, if my initial reaction was that, then maybe other people's initial reaction might be similar. And I just started on this crazy journey that uh, had nothing to do with my real life and just started looking into this idea about starting a business. And I thought, well, you know, corporates could hire me and that sort of thing. And I mean, to be honest as well, it was a little bit like 
I've got to have one. How can I justify it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great. What were you doing before Rent a Dinosaur? Well, I I have a YouTube channel called the Cat Behavior Channel, which is kind of about animal behavior. And also, I fix computers. Um, so nothing really to do with dinosaurs. <laughs> and my my background initially was um, more marketing and that sort of thing. So you know, I've got a, a reasonable spread of skills, but uh, you know, nothing to do with dinosaurs at all. <laughs> yeah, we loved the Walking with Dinosaurs show. It was on tour like a year ago, I think, and yeah. we saw it. Yeah, that was super they, awesome. They've had something like a billion people watch it or something. <laughs> oh wow. It is a big deal, though, isn't it? I mean, full-size dinosaurs is just, you'd imagine, if you hadn't seen it, you'd think, well, how on earth do they do that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're so much more lifelike than a lot of the animatronic dinosaurs. Like, they can actually walk around and they can move in so many more directions than a lot of the ones that are in a park and they just kind of open their mouth and close their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed when I see those because they're not really lifelike, yeah. but they're really popular. And yeah. every zoo and dinosaur exhibition has them. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, and that's why I love this sort of baby T-Rex so much because it's not robotized. Mm -hmm. it, it actually behaves like a real animal. Yeah. How did you decide to have a baby T-Rex? Do you mean as opposed to a velociraptor? Yeah. <laughs> well... <laughs> T-Rex is the best one, isn't it? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I looked at them and I thought, actually, the thing that persuaded me was that I could have the T-Rex with feathers. And I I think that's a, a popular look, whereas the Velociraptor, I'm not sure, is so sure about having feathers. Mm -hmm. that's is true, it? Yeah. You're, you're the experts. <laughs> well, so Velociraptor, just to be a technical pain in the butt, <laughs> was this really small thing that did have feathers. Well, exactly. But then <laughs> I think like Deinonychus or Utah Raptor, they're not as sure about. That's like the bigger one that people like. But there's this one really awesome new one called Dakota Raptor that might be my new favorite dinosaur because it's like the size of a Utah Raptor or about the size of a baby T-Rex, but it had feathers all over it, including like real wings, but it couldn't Is quite that fly. chicken from hell that you were talking about the other week? Uh... No, hell. oh, oh, there are a lot of dinosaurs there with nicknames with from hell. Yeah, but yeah that's it. <laughs> Dakota Raptor is the biggest one that had real wings and feathers. Yeah, I don't think it actually got a hell nickname. It, oh, that's yeah, weird, isn't it? So. Yeah. It I is. think because it had Raptor in the name, that was good enough for people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the other thing I tell people as well is that it's only a baby T-Rex, whereas if it was a Raptor, it would be a fully grown one. That's true. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. You can but, imagine how I mean, much bigger. I, the, the result has just been so amazing so far that already we're thinking, you know, do we need a second one or something? Mm -hmm. And what do you get for a second one? And it, it probably would be the Raptor one. <laughs> how yeah. far do you think this could go? How many do you think you might have? Well, my house couldn't fit more than six or seven, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so do you keep them all in your house, like just in like the living room or something? Yeah. <laughs> No, I've I've actually got a horse box. Oh, really? Um, I'm not sure what uh, American horse boxes are like, but uh, I had to buy a... Have you heard of a Shire horse? It's like a particularly large plough-pulling horse. Oh, okay. And yeah. I bought a horse box for two of them. And uh, Dexter, that's what my T-Rex is called, mm -hmm. will only fit in it on his own. I couldn't fit another <laughs> one in there. And <laughs> even then, his tail has to be curled round. 
Is that where you sent us the picture of it kind of peeking out of the thing? Was that the... That's it, yes. Okay. <laughs> that was yeah, great. So the horse box is three and a half meters long and Dexter's four meters long. So there's not too much tail curling to be done. Wow. But uh, he doesn't complain. <laughs> <laughs> so do you just keep it in your backyard or something? I keep it in my front yard. Right. Oh, and what do the neighbors <laughs> say? Did they speculate about what's in there or they know? <laughs> they, yes. Well, we've had a few training sessions with the actors. And, of course, everyone comes out of their house because wouldn't you if you saw a dinosaur walking around in the street outside your house? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, a few young children have been in trouble at school for telling tales and saying, I've got a, my neighbor's got a dinosaur. <laughs> and the teacher says, I've told you before about not telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> are the kids in general, are they excited to see Dexter or do they get a little bit scared? So far, I mean, one of our first test visits was at a, a children's summer camp, and there were about 20 or 30 children, and they had no trouble whatsoever. I mean, they could spot straight away that it wasn't real, because you can see the actor's legs underneath, mm -hmm. but the pretense and the behavior is still there, so they love... They, it's still so big, and when there's nine feet of teeth looking down at you, <laughs> you you're not looking at the legs, are you? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> How'd you come up with the name Dexter? Well, we had a list of about 40 names, and uh, we just settled on Dexter because Dexter the Dinosaur and Dex Rex. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah, there were a few other ones, but, you know, names beginning with R have all gone by all the other dinosaur people in the world. <laughs> for their, the, R, the letter R has gone for the T-Rex name anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so... How did you find this place that would make the giant dinosaur? Yes, that's quite a, an interesting story because <laughs> it's difficult buying from China because you can't go out there unless you're a millionaire. You can't go out there and check your goods before you buy them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you, I almost got in a lot of trouble with the first company that I visited because I... I was about to place the order, and I'd gone through a few weeks of negotiating and talking to them and that sort of thing. And then eventually I said, I think I'd like this dinosaur that's on your website. And they said, oh, I'm sorry, you, if you want that one, that's $20,000 extra. And it's got to go to America to have the detail done on the face. Wow. And I thought, that's, that's a bit weird. <laughs> and that just made me suspicious, and you know, I stopped the deal there and then. And afterwards, I found out that was actually a picture of one of the walking with dinosaurs, dinosaurs, <laughs> and they hadn't made it at all. And of course, that's terrifying because you can't sue a Chinese company from England unless you're, you know, huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was lucky to get out of that. And then I found another company and uh, spoke to them. And they were just really nice. They were more than happy to just, I would be chatting to them on, on uh, Messenger. And they'd go out to the, the workshop, take a photo of themselves holding a piece of paper with my name on, and then come back to Messenger and send it to me. <laughs> and so that really put my mind at rest. Yeah. And I could actually see my dinosaur being made, and they would show me updates every morning. I'd get out of bed, check my messages, and they'd have a photo of what they'd been doing that day. That's wow. awesome. And it was just amazing to see him taking shape and having to make decisions about the color as well. That was another thing that terrified me, because... <laughs> You can't send it back and have it touched up, can you? Right. You've, uh, you've got to get it right first time. So how did you decide on colors? You just kind of you do any polls I, or anything? Well, I kind of wanted it 
orange with black spots like a, a leopard or something mm. along those lines. But, you know, that was just because I love cats and uh, my cats are Bengal cats, which have that colouring. Mm-hmm. But then I thought, hang on a minute, that's a bit too much about me. And actually, I want one that's dinosaur coloured or, you know, a popular vision of dinosaur coloured. Because I don't want to have to keep explaining that, no, we didn't know what colour they were. And, you know, they might have been purple with blue spots or, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so then I went for something that just kind of looked realistic, but looked cool as well. And I went for the the sort of green and sand coloured. Yeah, it looks nice because we can see it on your website, which is... Yes. It's a great website. (laughs) Dexter <laughs> is front and center. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. He is so striking when you, I mean, you had one at your wedding, didn't you? Yes. But the <laughs> yeah. kids at our wedding were terrified. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. I think they might have been a little bit younger, though. Yeah, it could be. The ones that I think about <laughs> 10 was probably the cutoff for being terrified. If you're under 10 or if you're older 10, you could kind of figure out that it wasn't a real dinosaur trying to eat you. Yeah, the ones under 10, just they saw his name was Duncan and then just started yeah. crying immediately. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know, it, it's interesting because at this children's holiday camp, there were, I think they were about three to seven year olds. Oh, wow. And um, what happened is when we got in there, we got them to shout Dexter, Dexter, <laughs> to call him in. So then, first, straight away, he was coming in because they told him to come in. Mm-hmm. And then he kept a, a respectful distance from them. And then we got them to feed him. And we've got these foam things that we call Triceratops chops <laughs> and Stegosaurus steaks and Tyrannosaurus T-Rex, uh, T-bones. And uh, we got them to feed him so they could hold the food out for him mm-hmm. and say, open and then he'd open his mouth, and they could put the food in his mouth, and then they'd say, close. And he'd close his mouth, and then say, drop it. And they'd drop the food at their feet. <laughs> and it was just a great way of getting them interacting with him and in control of him. And awesome. uh, it's amazing, but we didn't have any tears at all that day. <laughs> That's wonderful. And there are some photos on our Facebook page as well. That's really great. So when you, you've done a couple of events already, this one, the camp, do you also – teach them about dinosaurs or about T-Rex? Or is it more about yeah, the so interaction? I mean, I've, I've got a collection of fossils that I've bought. Um, I think Dinosaur George in America is uh, has a, a nice tooth. I don't know if you've seen the full cast of a tooth. And it's people just love to hold things and touch them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get a real fossil of a T-Rex for uh, obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually have a dinosaur shop that's about half an hour's drive away from me and I popped down there and explained to him what I was doing and we just chatted for like an hour but I came away with a Spinosaurus fossil tooth because they're relatively cheap Wow! and it's not as impressive as a T-Rex tooth of course but uh, it's it's nice to have something physical that people can touch and hold and then we got the children to actually hold the foot claw up to Dexter where the real foot claw would have been and the hand claw as well we've got as well and they you know they just it was amazing actually how much they knew yeah uh, i mean we we're saying what's a carnivore and what's a herbivore and can you name a herbivore that's alive today and they knew all the answers and these are like four-year-olds and i was <laughs> thinking that's i'm not sure i knew that when i was four <laughs> <laughs> yeah we love the dinosaur replica stuff too we've got a allosaurus hand and a stegosaurus plate replica that are oh, wow. a lot of fun yeah 
Yeah. It was funny when we bought the Allosaurus hand at this museum, they were like, are you guys teachers? Why do you want this? And we said, well, we just like it. We just want an Allosaurus hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just said, who wouldn't want one? <laughs> yeah. So how long did it take the company to make Dexter? It took, I think, two and a half months. And it's about a month and a half to actually make him. Hmm. And then 30 days at sea. Well, that's really and, not uh, long at all. No, I mean, but I suppose in China, labor is cheap. Yeah. But they, because everything is so labor intensive, they still have craftsmen. Whereas I think nowadays with modern robotics and that sort of thing, in a way, the Western world has lost the, the art of craftsmanship because we don't need it. We can get robots to do exactly the same thing just as well. Robots making robots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, I've seen a video of how they make it. And it, it is amazing to see how they, they build this metal frame and then just stick square lumps of foam on it and then sculpt the foam to like a, an animal. And then, then they do texture work on the skin as well. And then stick the sort of stick a, a skin covering on top of the foam to make it hard wearing. Hmm. And it's just staggering to see how they make it and the skill. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. What's the skin covering made out of? Um, in English, it's called tights. And I think in American, it's pantyhose. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's kind of like a, a stretchy, flexible, thin material. Huh. And they put silicon on the foam and then dab this pantyhose material on top of it into all the cracks and the skin, the sort of the scale of the foam. Mm -hmm. And it just, it's a wonderful idea because, of course, foam wouldn't last five minutes with rubbing mm -hmm. on it. But with this material on top of it, it's fine. And then finally, once that's stuck on, they spray it with a, a kind of colored silicon spray. And so the whole thing's waterproof as well then. Nice. Wow. That's good when you got kids grabbing at it. <laughs> yes. And of course, they all tried to stick their fingers up his nose and poked his eye and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the actor got his bottom pinched uh, at one point as well. <laughs> How many actors do you have playing Dexter? We've got three. And that's mainly because we can't employ them full time because we're not working full time. So they, they are jobbing actors or creature actors rather. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they have other jobs as well. So when I get a job, I just book one in rotation and hopefully if they're free, they'll come. And if they can't, then I try a different one. Yeah. But I think three is a safe number to sort of spread the work around. Definitely. So how did you train them? You said they came to your front yard. Did you have somebody yes. helping them or was it just you training them? <laughs> Well, we had all the videos on YouTube because as part of my business plan, I, uh, for research purposes, of course, I watched every dinosaur video there is to watch. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, so I had a playlist of those and we all sort of sat around and studied them and, you know, noted down the behavior that we liked and where we thought it wasn't very realistic. But of course, then you've got the additional problem that from inside the dinosaur, you can't actually see mm -hmm. what you look like. So they, the dinosaur has a camera in the middle of his nose. Mm -hmm. And so he has a TV screen inside so he can see where the head is looking. But if you say turn the head to the right, he can see it's moved some to the right, but he doesn't know how much or what it looks like. And then we had a, a brilliant idea of um, with a GoPro camera, you can actually stream to an iPhone 
And so he can have an iPhone inside and we can film it from a GoPro from outside. Nice. And that's uh, a really good trick. That is. Yeah, that's a good idea. About how long did it take for an actor to get comfortable in the suit? I'd say, I mean, they're comfortable after an hour. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's nowhere near... I mean, that's time to get comfortable. And then once you're comfortable, then you can start acting. Right. And it, it's like in normal acting, if you don't learn your lines, you can't actually act. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to learn your lines before you can even try acting. And uh, so with them, you know, you've, you've got to feel comfortable in the costume before you can even start trying to portray behavior. Sure. How long can they wear the suit? We had heard that, I think at our wedding, they said you could only wear it for like a half hour because it was really heavy and you're in kind of an awkward pose. Do you have that same kind of problem? Yeah, I mean, we're aiming at sort of 15 to 20 minutes, mm. and we haven't really tried longer than that. Okay. But I don't know. I mean, this one is, I don't think it's a particularly heavy one, although, funnily enough, the feathers added two kilos. <laughs> and that's <laughs> that's because they used two tubes of silicon to glue the feathers in. Oh, yeah. But it's always a brilliant story when you say the feathers add two kilos. Yep. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a Brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. <laughs> Good for us as scientists. <laughs> mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Does Dexter make any sounds? Yes, he's got eight sounds and the operator can choose one of those eight. And also, when he closes his eyes, he makes a sort of purring sound <laughs> as well. But I'm actually working on a different one that gives me uh, 18 sounds, 
and a 40 watt amplifier so i want to be able to scare people properly if i want to (laughs) (laughs) yeah but funny enough it's quite nice as well because the chinese company is actually very interested in what i'm doing Mm -hmm. because only last year they had a single sound for him so they've upgraded their their model eight sounds and they're very interested in how i get on upgrading mine to 18 yeah they may adopt it if it works well wow great so what kind of sounds does he have other than the purring? They're kind of different lengths of raw. Mm-hmm. And the sounds that I'm kind of interested in is I kind of, I want behavioral sounds. So kind of an excited yelp and uh, not quite a squeak, but a very short squawk or something like that. Mm. And, you know, a big triumphant roar, like a, a show off, look at me roar sort of thing. <laughs> and just a variety of sounds that portray the behavior that I want to be making. Mm-hmm. Whereas the ones that it comes with are um, kind of generic roars of different lengths. And I'm an ex-audio engineer as well, so I just want to fiddle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were talking on one episode about how they don't really know what T-Rex sounded like, and everyone's kind of adopted the Jurassic Park. It sound, When we were watching some of these older things, it seems like T-Rex always sounded like Godzilla until like Jurassic Park came out, and now it always has that crazy roar that's a combination of a whale and a tiger and a tiger and a bunch (laughs) of stuff yeah yeah i'm sticking with the bird related thing so i'm going to use chickens and uh (laughs) yeah i like that ducks yeah (laughs) chickens and ducks are what i'm going to make mine sound like (laughs) yeah we like the idea of it either like chirping or some scientists were saying it might have just been totally silent which would have maybe even been scarier but then you know it's not as that's fun. not as fun as a party. Yeah. yeah. I like the chirping idea, though. That sounds great. Yeah. One of my friends on Facebook said, I dare you to have one sound that's like a cat meow. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it has to be done. Yeah. You could make a little comment like, I think you might have gotten into the cats and like have it. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, with this new one I'm developing, it's got a memory card slot. So you can just have, you know, a ridiculous memory card and a serious memory card or, you know, it doesn't matter which ones you use. Yeah. So it's lots of fun. Yeah. You've got quite the skill set. Seems like any little piece that you think you need, like audio engineering and then. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just a big nerd. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I just love fiddling with things and seeing how they work. And, you know, yeah. it saves money when you have to do it yourself. Yeah, that's awesome. If you don't mind us asking, how much did it cost to make Dexter? I, uh, I'm sworn to secrecy on that, I'm afraid. Fair enough. <laughs> but you could, I did ask my special effects friend how much it would cost to make one in England, and he was saying at least £60,000. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So that's what I'm going for. If you want to buy him off me, you can for £60,000. <laughs> <laughs> you could start a second-hand uh, dinosaur importing business. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or it'll pimp my dinosaur with yeah. custom sounds and things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could do the version where it's £20,000 just to add the extra specialized Yeah, the face textures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So other than the camp, what other events have you done so far? We've done an exhibition in my local city, and uh, that was like an opportunity for local businesses. And when I first went to the networking meetings, when I first got Dexter, I'd stand up and do like a 60-second introduction. Mm -hmm. And of course, I stood up and said, I've just bought a four-meter-long dinosaur. (laughs) And then everyone would stop what they were doing and actually look at you and, you know, pay attention. 
<laughs> and uh, so I did that at a couple of places. And one of the organizers of this exhibition came up to me and said, you've got to bring your dinosaur to our exhibition. And they gave me the stand for free and sort of decorated it with uh, sort of jungle plants and camouflage netting and things like that. And it was just, it brightened up the exhibition no end. Wow. And again, there's a the video on the Facebook page of that. And just everybody laughs and they just have such a lovely time. And adults become children mm-hmm. when dinosaurs are around. Have you seen any of the videos of, I think there's like a really simple inflatable T-Rex costume that they started selling with Jurassic World and people are running around doing like ice skating or parkour. Parkour. <laughs> Well, do you know, that doesn't impress me at all, because when you see a four-meter-long dinosaur skating and jumping around on a trampoline, then that'll impress me. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm a bit nervous of that at the moment. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, can you imagine doing one of those stunts with my one? Yeah, that would be really terrifying. But, no, for Christmas, somebody bought me an inflatable one, but it's not the same as the tall brown one that's in all the videos. But this oh, one is okay. like you're actually sitting on its back. So oh, your yeah. legs are the dinosaur's legs, and it's got inflatable legs down the side, and yeah. that's just hilarious. Yeah, that one's really funny. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking when a corporate hires me for you know a huge amount of money, then I can just run in with that. So like, here you are. <laughs> <laughs> or wear it to all your pitches. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's easier to get a, get around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the opportunities are endless with that, the... Uh, jokes with that (laughs) yeah we talked a little bit about future plans but if you had like an ideal stable of dinosaurs like maybe if you had three or four would you be interested in anything other than velociraptor and t-rex like could you do some sort of herbivore or something would you go i guess (laughs) well yeah i mean you still gotta have the puppeteer haven't you yeah and uh the great thing about Tyrannosaurus rex is that it's a theropod, so you've only got two legs. But with a quadruped, somebody's got to be the back end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, yeah, I mean, where's the fun in a herbivore? You can sort of nuzzle someone or something like that, but, you know, they're never going to be afraid of you. Of you <laughs> eating them, are you? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so carnivore is where the fun is. <laughs> I suppose. No, I mean, it would be cool to have, you know, a full-size Diplodocus. I noticed your um, talk about the Natural History Museum in England and oh, Dippy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Dippy. And, uh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it would be really cool to have something sort of 40 metres long that was animated. I mean, what happened to the Walking with Dinosaurs ones? I Maybe don't I could know. buy one of those drive drive it down the streets. <laughs> yeah, those were so impressive. And they had, like, the little – it was like a little car underneath it. They kind yes, of blended in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was so slick. I want one of those, actually. Yeah. <laughs> that's the next thing. That would be awesome. But yeah, as far as I know, the show's finished, and that's it. I don't know what they did with them. Oh, yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. Gotta get one. <laughs> they invented the uh, the baby T-Rex model, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And in one of the videos, they say it cost them a quarter of a million dollars. Wow. Ooh. I mean, I suppose with the research and development of yeah. that, that's mm-hmm. quite possible. But, you know, once someone's worked out, you can actually do this yeah. this way, then it's relatively easy to manufacture something like that. Yeah. You figure out the steel and then the foam and the uh, yeah. silicone on top, and you're 
Good to go. Just some good paint and a good actor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some teeth. <laughs> yeah. Teeth. So with yours, you said it can open its mouth, close its mouth, make noises. Are there any other things that it does or that you want to add that it can do? Well, the the head moves in all directions and the neck also moves in all directions. So that's up, down, left, right and rotate. So there's quite a variety of move, movement you can get because you can have the head go one way and the neck go the other way. Oh, yeah. And I've, I've seen cheaper dinosaurs where the head is actually solid on the neck. Mm-hmm. And they tend to walk around looking at the floor a bit too much. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm very sort of quick to spot that when the actors are doing that because I guess it's a heavy head as well and you have to lift it up. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, that's half of the fun that we're inventing something for the first time here because there's, there's not really a course you can go on to learn how to walk around in a puppet dinosaur. Yeah. And so one of the guys actually realized that he could that the head has like a, a lock to lock it upright when it's in storage. So sometimes when he's walking around, he can lock the head in and just relax his hands and arms. And, you know, that's, but it's nice that they're thinking for themselves and coming up with ideas of their own. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. The dinosaur we had at our wedding had the ability to poop. <laughs> but Sabrina's mom put the kibosh on that. She was like, no pooping at the wedding. <laughs> Uh, just speechless. <laughs> I'm tempted to ask what did it poop, but I don't think I want to know, actually. It looked and, just like poop. Although, yeah. I don't know they what had it was. That, they had that in Walking with Dinosaurs, too. No, they, <laughs> they, they pretended it pooped. They didn't actually poop. Oh, okay. I see, I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, um, they had one, too, that could sneeze. And then they put a little squirt bottle in it, and it fed out through its nose. That can be kind of fun. Too. Yes, we, we've had a thought about that, actually, and we like the idea. Because you could, you could probably well, scare someone better with that. Neck. Sorry, you, you broke up a bit there. Oh, sorry. I was just saying you could probably scare somebody better if you roar and sneeze on them at the same time. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's just the possibilities are great, and... I don't care how heavy it gets because it's not my problem. It's the actor's problem. <laughs> so we'll keep 10 gallons of liquid in there. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So then your actor's so he'll be encouraged to sneeze to make it lighter. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Your actors have to be in pretty good shape then, huh? They have to be absolutely ninja fit <laughs> because it, it is really hot in there and really confined. And you're carrying, I think it's about 35 kilos around the top of your head so that your center of balance is really high. Mm -hmm. And to move that mass quickly forwards and then stop suddenly and then quickly turn it around, there's a lot of momentum to overcome there. Yeah, I could see why it would take an hour just to kind of figure out how to wear it. (laughs) Yes, yeah. So if someone on the street now just calls out, hey, dinosaur man, would you respond to that? (laughs) <laughs> I'd ask for their autograph. <laughs> no, it'd be amazing. It would be nice if someone said, you're the man with that dinosaur. That would be good. It would be. And everyone else would look very strangely and think, what on earth are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just realized, if you get the water spray going, you're only one step away from having it breathe fire if you just substitute <laughs> the water with <laughs> gasoline. 
<laughs> Apparently, it's frowned on to set fire to children, though, so I might not do that. Save it for the corporate events. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a favorite dinosaur? It is T-Rex. It's a good one. He's just yeah. so cute and cuddly. <laughs> yeah. So soft with all those feathers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing as well with the feathers was that we opted for a, a light covering on top of him rather than going for the full body feather treatment, mm-hmm. which I think um, the Saurian game is considering having the whole Tyrannosaurus Rex covered in feathers. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Which, you know, it, it might be good for a historical accuracy or something, but when people see it, they're going to say, why have you got a great big chicken with teeth <laughs> rather than T-Rex? <laughs> yeah. Why is that chicken roaring? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've seen any animate. I've seen a picture or two of a feathered T-Rex, fully feathered, but I don't think I've ever seen a animated one. It'd be interesting to see what they did and maybe if it roars, it could puff out all its feathers or something. Yeah, could be interesting. And where you have to stop the feather somewhere around its mouth, I would think, because with a snout you can't really. Could you cover the whole thing in feathers? It would be. I don't know. I mean, Saurian seem quite serious with their realism, and I think they stopped the feathers under the eyes, okay, so that the jaw and snout were skin only. That'd be a pretty creepy looking head. (laughs) (laughs) It's just. Feathers aren't so scary, are they? Yeah. Well, if it's with big enough teeth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would still run from a nine-foot chicken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, even ostrich hens are pretty intimidating. Yeah, height. that's true. <laughs> also, the, like, craziness that birds have. Like, you, when you look a bird in the eyes, you're always just a little bit concerned that it doesn't know really what it's doing. <laughs> <laughs> or it knows exactly what it's doing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm kind of worried that it might be smarter than me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I had an incident with birds once. I was eating some pizza at a table, and then it was like it, a coordinated, I don't know what, but all of a sudden, one bird, one pigeon flew over, and then it, it was on a ledge a little bit higher than the table, and a few other birds flew in. And then this bird on the ledge lifted one leg, so it's standing on one leg, and it was like that was a signal, because then more birds started coming in, and then they started circling the table where I was eating the pizza, (laughs) and then one at a time would fly up and try to, like, peck at the pizza, and it looked like this coordinated event. It was really creepy. (laughs) That's scary. Sabrina also has an irrational fear of birds, though. (laughs) I'm not surprised now. I would. (laughs) He also had a, or she also had a hot dog stolen from her, right out of her hand. Well, a couple months ago. That's to be expected from seagulls. Yeah. <laughs> a hot dog's quite big, isn't it? Yeah, but so are seagulls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're pretty. Especially intense. if they keep eating hot dogs. Yes, yeah. exactly. They they get aggressive. They know that they can get away with it. <laughs> yeah. We were at a zoo. Yeah. <laughs> At a zoo, and there was a feeding of penguins, but it was an outdoor zoo, and they stopped because a bunch of seagulls showed up, and they were like, the seagulls get really aggressive, so we have to wait for them to leave before we could keep feeding the penguins. We're like, the penguin's twice as big as the seagull, but apparently the seagulls are just violent. <laughs> well, I don't think birds get the respect they deserve, actually, because I think, I, I could be wrong, of course, but I believe that the bird with the biggest vocabulary of English, of 
you know, human words, is the budgerigar. Hmm. And that's a tiny little thing, but, you know, it's quite a famous bird on the on YouTube. Cool. I don't think I've seen that one. I, yeah, me either. I have to look it up. Yeah. Did you see the, um, what do they call it, T-Rex dissection, I think? Yes. <laughs> the whole... was, um, it, I don't know if you saw it in America, but it was quite a big thing on in the UK. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I saw some of the publicity stunts they were doing where they were driving around the big T-Rex <laughs> on a flatbed around, like, Trafalgar yeah. Square and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. And I saw on the, the making of video that when they made the stomach, they said, we're putting some awful smelling chemicals in here, but we're not going to tell the actors because we want them to act really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The whole time I was watching it, I was just thinking, they did a really good job making this so that when you cut into it, it still looks pretty realistic. That's a whole other level of modeling. Yeah. And actually, I got in touch with the um, company that made the T-Rex when I was doing research about the actors to Mm. see if they had any actors. And they're actually called Crawly Creatures. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. But they were really helpful when I was uh, doing some research. Cool. Yeah, I imagine it took a long time to research everything and then figure out even what companies to go with. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's there's it's a whole sort of different business because it's entertainment and marketing, but also acting and puppetry and special effects kind of gear. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it was, but I kind of I enjoy that sort of learning while you're going and figure things out on the fly. Mm-hmm. Great. What do your cats think about Dexter? Um, we are a bit nervous of showing them to him because <laughs> I, I don't want to terrify them. And, and when cats get terrified and nervous in their own environment, they can tend to get revenge on you. Yeah. <laughs> or they might think it's a giant scratch toy and then that's an expensive yes. <laughs> repair. <laughs> it would be a good video on YouTube, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Cat versus T-Rex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Chris. It's been a pleasure. I am um, a big fan of I Know Dino since I, I mean, I discovered you when I was doing my research and uh, I just, I love your podcasts. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Well, from what we've seen, Dexter looks amazing. It's too bad we're across the pond. And Yes. Comment. Well, whenever you come over here, come and meet him. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Thanks again, Chris, for talking to us on a Saturday. We really enjoyed speaking with you and learning all about Dexter. Yeah, it was a great interview. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
So we decided to watch the movies in chronological order, which means we started with The Land Before Time, since that was released in 1988. And the Blu-ray case says that it's newly remastered for improved HD picture and sound. But <laughs> I don't know if that's just a really bad joke or what. <laughs> or we're just really spoiled with the kinds movies. of things we watch. Yeah. Yeah. But it really doesn't look any different at all than the DVD. And that's pretty much what all the reviews online say. And they also, some of them even say it looks as bad as the VHS. I was going to say, it, yeah, it looked the same. Well, maybe within the first 10 times of watching the VHS. Yeah, that is a big difference. It's not going to fall apart like a VHS <laughs> tape. But most of that comes down to the fact that there's a ton of grain all over the images. And I'm not really sure if that is the fault of this remastering, or maybe it looked like that originally, but I can't really compare that because I didn't see it when it was in the theater. And there is a noticeable difference between the underwater scenes and the above you know, on land scenes, where the underwater looks much blurrier, but the land parts don't look quite as grainy. So I don't know if maybe that was just the style or an artifact of the production in the 80s that they did. It was kind of a smaller studio that made it, and maybe they didn't have a big budget to make it look super beautiful. I don't really know. Yeah, we also watched it on a pretty big screen. Yeah. And and the last time that we watched The Land Before Time was when it was on Netflix, and we watched it on an iPad, and it looked really great on that small screen. <laughs> that's... Uh... I could still see all the grain on that as well, but since it was a Netflix version, I didn't think too much of it. And it didn't look as bad since it was a smaller screen mm -hmm. to me. But it's hard to say what the original quality would have been like. It's just a little bit disappointing because they act like, you know, it's got improved HD picture and it definitely looks exactly the same as the DVD. We put in the DVD after watching a little bit of it thinking, oh, is there something wrong with the Blu-ray? Did we get like a pirated copy? And it's just like totally wrong because it starts with that underwater scene that looks quite a bit worse. Um, and they looked exactly the same. There was pretty much no difference. And it is technically in 1080p and they tout that all over the place. So it's kind of strange. But anyway, more disappointing probably than that. <laughs> is that there are absolutely zero special features on the disc. Even though the DVD actually did have a few special features, it's interesting that this newer version doesn't have any special features whatsoever. But the special features on the DVD were geared towards younger kids. Yeah, they're kind of cheesy. And one of them was just like an ad for a website where you could learn about dinosaurs. Kind of like if there was something that said, like, I know dino.com, and you like clicked on it and was like, go to I know dino.com. <laughs> yeah. That was one of their special features. That's better than what was on the VHS. I remember when I used to watch it every day on VHS, they just had ads for Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, that's not great. <laughs> there, not surprisingly, isn't any audio commentary because that's one of those things that really popped up with DVDs and they've, it's kind of gone away a little bit, which is sad to me because I love watching films with the audio commentary of either the actors or the crew or the directors or whoever because it adds so much information to it. The one thing it does definitely have going for it though is that it's in a ton of languages and it really seems like what they did with this release was try to make one version of a Blu-ray 
that they could sell just like everywhere because it's very much like a universal experience. Even the main menu doesn't have any words on it. It's just pictures. So no matter which language you were speaking, it would work fine. And the first thing it asks you is what country you're in. And then all the countries are in different languages. So just to run through the languages in full audio, it has what they call French European, LA Spanish, Japanese, Brazilian Portuguese, German, Castilian Spanish, Italian, Danish, Finnish, Norwegian, and Swedish. I don't think I've ever seen that many dubbed over languages on a movie ever. It's pretty impressive. I feel like Netflix's original movies or shows have that. That's true. They do have a lot. Mostly in subtitles, though. I don't know. I only watch it in English. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And most of that audio is available in surround sound, which is also pretty cool. And the sound is good. I don't think it's any better than the DVD was, but it's definitely way better than something you get out of a VHS. So I'd say if you have the DVD, stick with the DVD. If you speak one of those languages, definitely get the Blu-ray because the DVD doesn't have that many languages. But otherwise, I would just get the DVD because it's like half the price and it's the same thing. Just to be totally thorough, there are even more subtitled languages. There they have European French, Italian, German, Castilian Spanish, LA Spanish, Japanese, Swedish, Danish, Finnish, Norwegian, Portuguese, and Russian. So whatever you need, they've got for you. And both The Land Before Time and We're Back a Dinosaur Story, like I was saying, have a simple menu with just five icons and no words anywhere. And all you can do with those icons is select a language, select a chapter, change the audio, change the subtitles, and play the movie. And neither of them even have like a moving background. It's just a picture. So it really does look like bootleg when you put it in. You're like, what's this? But <laughs> Which is too bad. Yeah. Something that might make up for the lack of special features. We wrote a post a while back, a trivia about Land Before Time. So we'll be posting it again later this week, but if you just search Land Before Time Trivia on inodino.com, you'll see a list of 10 interesting behind-the-scenes facts. Yeah. Some of them are sad, not to give anything away. Yeah, some of them are very sad. Kind of makes it sad to watch the movie, actually. But Yeah, and the movie's already, the story's quite sad. Sabrina may have cried when we watched it just now. Every time. <laughs> Scene with Littlefoot and his mom, and then right after with old Ruder. So, moving on to our next movie, going from 1988 to 1993, We're Back, A Dinosaur Story. Also Steven Spielberg involved, right? Yes. Both of those are Steven Spielberg films, as is Jurassic Park. So, he's got like five of the top ten dinosaur movies of all time. <laughs> Pretty impressive. Maybe someday we can talk to Steven Spielberg, the dinosaur enthusiast. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. So We're Back makes an even more ambitious claim on the Blu-ray case, saying it has HD picture and theater quality sound. And overall, it does look cleaner and less grainy than The Land Before Time, but it still doesn't look anywhere close to as good as you'd probably expect from a Blu-ray. Does it look about five years better? Yeah, probably. I would say it mostly just looks like better animation techniques. I had forgotten that the American Museum of Natural History is the destination that they're going towards the whole movie and then getting stuck in Central Park and everything. 
And Julia Child actually does the voice of the curator oh, at really? the museum. It's like, I looked on IMDb, it's the only movie credit she has as an actress is the museum curator in We're Back. Does she mention butter? No, she doesn't. Oh. <laughs> but she does talk like that the whole time. And I was watching it, I was like, who is that? And I looked it up. Oh, it's Julia Child. That's so <laughs> strange. Oh, also, Yardley Smith, the voice actress who plays Lisa Simpson, also plays Cecilia, the main female character in the story. So that's kind of fun. Can you tell it's her? Also with her, I was like, I know that voice. Who is it? And then I saw it was Lisa. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and it also has Jay Leno and John Goodman. You probably already know that in it. So pretty fun movie. Again, there are zero special features on this disc. It looks like they were made at like the same time and they're the exact same style and everything. And again, there's no audio commentary. But this one also has a ton of languages, slightly different languages, though, which is interesting. It has, again, French European, Castilian Spanish, and L.A. Spanish, which apparently L.A. Spanish is a thing. I think that's pretty funny. Maybe it's just because the film studio's in L.A., so... Maybe. We'll have to ask our L.A. friends, our yeah. L.A. Spanish-speaking friends. <laughs> that's true. There's Italian, Japanese, Brazilian, Portuguese, Danish, Finnish, and Russian in dubbed over. And then in the subtitles, you've got European French as well as Canadian French. So Yes, that is different. I didn't think it would be different written, but I guess it is. There's also Italian, Castilian Spanish, L.A. Spanish, which again, I don't know. I guess you've got the Vosotros form or whatever, but Spanish is pretty similar written in the two places, I would think. Also Japanese, Danish, Finnish, Brazilian, Portuguese, and Russian. So all the languages you could ever want. Most likely. No Chinese no, anywhere, though. No, so. yeah, I was going to say. Maybe not all the languages. I'm not sure. Looking at the cases, I don't see the standard little picture where they tell you what region the DVD is from. I don't know. Maybe they got rid of that when they went from DVDs to Blu-rays. Because I know with DVDs, you can only play a region one DVD in like the US and Canada. And then you need like region two if you're in Europe or something. They have all these different copyright protections that way so maybe blu-rays don't have that and that's why there's so many languages i'm not sure yeah could be so after watching those two movies we jumped up to 2015 for the good dinosaur <laughs> which is you know uh what is that 22 year gap the difference in animating quality is just staggering and the good dinosaur totally blows the other two away for beautiful animation and high quality video Almost like when you go from watching something on a standard definition TV to watching something on an HD TV, and you have that moment where you're like, whoa, this is so beautiful. It was like that. It was awesome. I think it made Garrett appreciate The Good Dinosaur more. Oh, it definitely did. Because I realized watching The Good Dinosaur, you take for granted all the scenery and you think, well, yeah, that's what the world looks like. Like, why wouldn't it look like that? That's what water looks like. That's what trees look like. That's what clouds look like. <laughs> and then you watch The Land Before Time and We're Back. And Land Before Time does have a lot of scenery in it, but it's all hand-drawn and things are changing sizes. And a lot of it is changing colors. And there's a lot of inaccuracies. And when things are moving quickly, they tend to just be really simplified, like hand-drawn, cartoon, simple level of detail. And we're back as in a city, so it doesn't have a lot of that stuff, and it's also pretty simple. 
But then when you watch The Good Dinosaur and everything looks like real life, I had a moment where I realized when I watched the movie, I just assumed that they had real footage of nature that they somehow put the dinosaurs into or something. I don't know. In the back of my mind, I never realized just how much work they put into every little detail of the rocks and the clouds and every facet of the thing with the rain. And it's just amazing. It is. I still prefer the story of Land Before Time, but in terms of the animation and the visuals, Good Dinosaur definitely wins. Yeah. As a story arc, I liked the Land Before Time better. But I think the quality of the films, though, in terms of how they were made and everything, they're very close because there are some issues with The Land Before Time that aren't great. And we've talked about some of the things we don't like about The Good Dinosaur that much. But when you watch them in a row, you really realize just how good The Good Dinosaur is. (laughs) (laughs) And... The Land Before Time with us is so nostalgic that it takes over sometimes, but The Good Dinosaur is really great. I have a lot of special features, so I need to stop gushing about how much I like it now. It's not in as many languages. It's only in English, French, and Spanish, and it also has subtitles for those voiceover languages. And that's probably just because Disney is going to release it in all the different regions with the local language on the boxes would be my guess. And that's probably the only thing that's worse about it. Everything else (laughs) is better. So going through the special features, there are some really great ones in this. It's not like The Land Before Time with just a couple campy little cheesy things. It's got some awesome special features. There's one called True Lies About Dinosaurs. And it does some cursory explanation of which scientific facts in The Good Dinosaur they decided to ignore including that dinosaurs didn't speak English, (laughs) that they didn't cultivate crops, and even better, they explained that Tyrannosaurus and Apatosaurus didn't live at the same time, even though they portrayed them as living at the same time during the movie. I'm glad they acknowledged that. Yeah, and they put a little timeline there, and they showed T-Rex 65 million years ago, and Apatosaurus at 130 million years ago, and then saying, well, our movie takes place more recently than 65 million years ago, but the Potosaurus didn't make it there, so it (laughs) still doesn't make sense. (laughs) So that was really cool to see. Maybe they were inspired by Land Before Time and they wanted a Littlefoot-like character. Could be. Yeah, I did notice (laughs) and we're back, there's no Potosaurus, but there's a scene with like the little dream bubbles and one of the kids says, I want to see an Potosaurus, and then they cut to the hadrosaur looking one (laughs) i wondered like did they decide to change that later or something because land before time had the main apatosaurus i don't know it's kind of funny though brontosaurus yeah in land before time that's true then there's another great special feature called recyclosaurus which is definitely the most unique special feature on the blu-ray and it's not actually about the creation of the good dinosaur at all really what it is is about these competitions that they do at Pixar. So in this case, they show the free shelf at Pixar where people put things that are, quote, too good to throw out, but not good enough to keep at home, end quote. (laughs) And all the groups at Pixar, like animation and characters and all the different groups that you see when you're watching the credits go for minute after minute of all these hundreds of names that it takes to make an animated movie, And they had to make sculptures of the good dinosaur, and then they voted on them 
during the original screening of The Good Dinosaur. They had to make it completely from things on the free table, and they were only allowed to take one thing a day, and they could only use duct tape to secure it together. And they had a couple other rules, and it was kind of funny. They showed different teams breaking the rules. <laughs> they would say, like, only things from the table. They would show somebody sneaking something else on there and things like that. Or one group that had this whole pile of stuff in the corner of the room on, like, the second day. And they're like, well, they obviously took more than one thing <laughs> a day. <laughs> the animation team made a working marionette puppet of Arlo, which was my favorite. And they even showed him walking him down the hall, which <laughs> is just awesome. They sewed it all together by deconstructing, I think, a scarf and taking the yarn out of it and then using a sewing machine to put it together. And that way they said, well, we're still using the same things. We're not breaking the rules and <laughs> using the same string up to the marionette pieces. And it looked really awesome. And the characters team put together a pile of garbage and you look at it <laughs> and you think they just gave up or maybe they just started. But then they turned off the lights and they put an iPhone with the flashlight on it, which is technically cheating, and shine it at it, and it made a perfect silhouette of Arlo, Spot, and Butch, the main T-Rex, on the wall. It was so awesome looking, and especially when you see this pile of crap, and you're like, what is that? And then they do this trick, and now all of a sudden, it's this awesome silhouette on so the wall. So you can't tell at all from the garbage? No, it looks nothing like... Arlo's neck is just a coat hanger that's sticking out in a random spot. Hmm. And they're all in different depths, too. It literally just looks like a heap. But if you get the angle just right with the light, then it looks awesome. There are also a bunch of other cool creations. Like one used some robotic game, and they put something in the mouth that was spinning, so it looked like it was chomping, hmm. and lots of cool stuff. Ultimately, that character's group with their awesome silhouette won even though they apparently cheated. I wonder if whoever made that video, because they pointed out all these cheaters, <laughs> was on one of the teams that lost and thought that they should have won. Maybe they got like third place and the first place and second place technically cheated or something. Because be. it was definitely made by someone who made one of these dinosaurs. <laughs> so that was a really good one. There's also a great making of segment where they show how they found an actual area in Jackson, Wyoming, that they based a lot of the sets on. And in that feature, they also talk about how the team was basically completely reconstructed halfway through production of The Good Dinosaur, and they had to rush really quickly to finish the movie. So that led to certain problems, and they had to simplify the storyline and things like that. Yeah, and we've talked about that before. Yeah. Then there's a segment called Every Part of the Dinosaur that shows how they animated the film, including watching elephants and giraffes to get a feel for what Arlo might have moved like. So that's kind of like what they did for The Lion King. They studied lions and all the other animals in that movie to yeah. animate. In Raising the Dinosaur Giant, the David Attenborough nature documentary we talked about the other day about the titanosaur that's now up in the American Museum of Natural History, they showed elephants walking in that too and how they use that to think about how sauropods walk, so... Pretty good move by the animators. In that segment, they also show that Spot is kind of a combination of a human, a dog, a raccoon, and a squirrel. <laughs> it's quite a combination. Yeah. Mostly dog, because it's basically a boy and dog story like we've talked about before. But then he can scamper up trees like a raccoon, and every once in a while he's a little squirrely. <laughs> 
if your favorite characters in the movie are the T-Rex, you'd really like the segment called Following the T-Rex Trail, which shows the family of ranchers that the T-Rex ranchers in the film are based on. And the human family is called the McKay family. So the director, Peter Sohn, and some of the other crew spent a day or two with the McKay family herding their cattle around and got a lot of ideas about how to animate and how to tell the story of Arlo's interactions with the ranching-style T-Rex. Did they talk about how they found this family at all? Nope. It's interesting. I wonder how they picked them or got in touch with well, them. Well, I think different members of the crew might have gone ranching with different families. They mentioned something a little bit about that in the commentary track. Mm-hmm. But I know that Peter Sohn particularly liked this family because they were so close-knit. And the parents adopted some kids, I think, from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So I think he really liked how caring this dad was to adopt kids that could use better circumstances. And the kids talk a little bit in the film, too, about how lucky they are and how much they like living there and all that kind of stuff. So I think that spoke to them. And seeing how close-knit they were, too. I think that family in particular, they worked really hard during the day, he said. But then at night, they would just sit down and talk and talk about different stories and things, just like they do in the movie. So he kind of integrated that in there. So... That's definitely why he likes that family so much, but I don't know how he ended up on this ranch <laughs> with, in the middle of nowhere with this family. They didn't explain that. There's also the hide-and-seek clip that we talked about before, as well as another animated short called Dino Bites that's just kind of a bunch of random clips of the different characters interacting. The short from before the film, titled Sanjay Super Team, that you saw if you saw it in theaters, is also in the special features, and they put in three deleted scenes that are all in very early hand-drawn stages of animation. But best of all, in my opinion at least, the Blu-ray has a commentary track with Peter Sohn, the director, Kelsey Mann, the story supervisor, Mike Venturini, the animation supervisor, Sharon Callahan, the director of photography, and Sanjay Bakshi, supervising technical director. And they do an awesome job explaining tons of details about the movie. And I actually usually like watching movies better with the commentary track after I've seen it once than just rewatching it the normal way. And this was definitely no exception. They had tons of detail. And even in the most trivial looking scene where Arlo could just be walking down a path, there's so much to talk about because since it's animated, every little detail had so much thought put into it. Like there's a scene where they're talking about it's raining and how there were different styles of rain. So now they decided to add some more prismatic flair to the rain to make it look more dreamlike. And all these kinds of details that are just awesome to know that are there and really makes you appreciate the movie so much more and all the work that went into it. Yeah, we knew from reading about it and even just watching it that a lot of work went into it. But it's hard to imagine how much work actually went into it. Yeah. It's awesome. And all the thoughts about everything. So they talk in depth a lot about how they develop the characters, how they develop the story, the art in the film, how the departments work together, and their inspirations and the emotions that they were trying to get through with the movie. They also talk about how the T-Rex characters are based on that ranching family. And because of that, they decided to animate the T-Rex legs more like a horse's hind legs, which I noticed when I was watching it that it looked more like a mammal gait than a bird gait. 
And they specifically chose that instead of an ostrich gate, which is what's more commonly used for a realistic dinosaur walking posture. Theropod, anyway. Yeah. And that's because as ranchers, they wanted them to look more horse-like. So it was this clever way to kind of integrate the ranching into the dinosaur mentality. And it really does give you a little bit more of the ranching feel to it. Another really cool thing that they mentioned is they got a detailed topography from the USGS, the US Geological Survey, and they used it to map some of their landscape. They also went through great lengths to figure out where trees would have grown, including what types of trees would have grown where and what part of a cliff different trees would have grown out of it. So when you have a mountain that's just not evenly distributed with trees, different little valleys and things will have trees distributed in different ways, depending on where the sunlight would go and where water would be. And when you watch it, you just think, yeah, that looks like a realistic mountain. But when they mention that, you think, wow, they really chose to put that tree there and then leave this little gap and then put this scraggly one sticking out of the side of the cliff. And it's just awesome. Yeah, that's a lot of research went into that. Yeah, it was so cool. If you have an HD TV, definitely get the Blu-ray of The Good Dinosaur. It looks much better, and it comes with a DVD anyway. So even if you don't have a Blu-ray player right now, just buy the Blu-ray version for a couple dollars more. Blu-ray players are pretty cheap, so you'll probably end up with one, and then you'll have the Blu-ray. Also, the DVD is missing most of the special features, but it does have the Sanjay Super Team short and the commentary track. So two of my favorites, but you wouldn't be able to see the Recyclosaurus and some of the other fun ones. So <laughs> Blu-ray is definitely better in this case. In the other two, I think you could probably do just fine with the DVD. And on to our dinosaur of the day. This week, our dinosaur is Arlo, not a real dinosaur, just like when we did our review of Jurassic World, we did Indominus Rex. So yes. Just, Arlo the Apatosaurus, technically. Yes, sort of. <laughs> yeah, ish. <laughs> but I'm kind of glazing over the Apatosaurus connection just because there are so many differences. <laughs> so in creating Arlo, Peter Soane always knew that he wanted a character that would start out very weak. So he considered having Arlo attacked early on, and that's actually one of the deleted scenes. But he decided that he wanted it to become more of a character trait than this one-time event that just kind of scared him temporarily. So from the very beginning, Arlo is portrayed as the runt of the litter, including coming out of an enormous shell that emphasizes small size. And he has incredibly knobby knees and skinny legs compared to what a real dinosaur would look like and compared to the rest of his family, to emphasize that. Early in the story, he often kinks his neck to show a lack of confidence in a way that a, a potosaurus probably couldn't, but definitely gets the point across that he's a little quirky in the beginning. <laughs> Luckily for Arlo, other members of the crew than just the director, Peter Sone, suggested that they should add some other little behavioral traits aside from just fear with these wobbly legs and kinked neck to add some depth to the character. So they gave him little bits of joy and curiosity to go along with it when he's playing with his siblings and everything. So he's not just a little scared guy in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> he's got incredibly large feet that resemble an elephant's foot, and they are much wider than the leg leading up to the foot. And actually, most of his family has 
feet that splay out quite a bit more than the leg and more than you'd probably expect in an apatosaurus because there's so much mass coming down you end up with that more column-like elephant leg than I don't even know how to describe his legs kind of like a plunger something it made him look kind of lizard-like yeah a little bit like many animated characters in all sorts of movies his eyes are much bigger than they would have been on a real animal and even compared to the rest of his family his eyes are much bigger on his head another thing that they do is they gave him really large whites of his eyes relative to the iris and pupil and in nature very few animals actually have that it's really important for humans watching it though because it lets you express so much more emotions shows where you're looking you can look more insecure if your eyes moving around a little bit and other emotions you can display with the eyes but it's pretty unlikely that dinosaurs would have had eyes like that since if you look at say a crocodile or a bird eye it's just going to be basically a big black ball because it's mostly that pupil and maybe a little bit of iris but there's not going to be much of a white of an eye there so that's one of the interesting differences in the good dinosaur arlo is shown at three ages they show him right when he hatches they show him as a young child and then finally as a preteen. in the commentary they say he's supposed to be around 11. as he gets older his posture gets more dinosaur-like with his shoulders straight down rather than in a sprawling posture especially when he's a kid he's really sprawled out mm -hmm. in a super lizardy way and he's really scampering like a little gecko or something which is interesting i remember that being one of our kind of complaints when we first reviewed the good dinosaur but now knowing the backstory that these were very deliberate decisions and this was why it was for a character thing it makes sense yeah once you hear the whole story about why they're making these decisions and that they're all very deliberate it makes you really appreciate it a lot more they also say that when arlo is weak he walks a little bit more like a camel <laughs> with his legs bent yeah as soon as they said it too I mean... you could see the camel likeness <laughs> of it and it sounds really funny but he really does look like a camel i mean the neck the way that it curves up so much more than you know more than even a apatosaurus probably would and the relatively shorter tail and everything it's like yeah that's a camel he's a camel now the big feet too and the knobby knees is just mm -hmm. arlo's really a camel <laughs> green camel <laughs> at least at the beginning arlo has about 20 teeth that i was trying to count while watching the movie and it's really interesting to me because in the movie he's definitely an herbivore but he never eats plain old foliage like an apatosaurus would he doesn't eat leaves and cycads conifers yeah <laughs> the only things we see him eat in the movie are corn that his family cultivates and berries that spot brings to him and of course spot first tries to bring him a bug and a lizard and he's not interested in eating either of those so you can tell that he's not an omnivore i find that especially interesting because at first seeing those few number of teeth i was thinking wait a second he would have needed way more teeth to rip all the foliage off of trees but since he's eating berries and corn i guess the number of teeth he had was about right so if dinosaurs evolved into eating corn you don't need 500 teeth anymore yeah that was kind of a fun thing to notice arlo also knows how to swim which i thought was interesting after our recent news stories about whether or not sauropods could swim that Arlo knew how to swim 
at least after learning from Spot. So not surprisingly, he basically swims in a doggy paddle type way since Spot is based on a dog and Arlo learns from Spot. So, <laughs> so overall, Arlo is a semi-realistic apatosaurus. I'm glad that his tail didn't drag on the ground. I think it, the tail was probably a little bit shorter than it should have been, and obviously the neck is in all the wrong place since it's more camel-like. <laughs> Can't unsee it now. And his face is just generally cartoony and all that kind of stuff. But it is a pretty good representation of a cartoony dinosaur. It's better than something that you'd see in We're Back. It's more on par with the land before time that way, so pretty good. Yep, that's high praise, especially after your first impressions of the good dinosaur. Yeah, I had really high expectations. I think that was the main problem. But now I really do appreciate it. It's a good movie. Oh, I did also want to mention that the Blu-ray copy comes with the DVD and a digital copy that you can stream through iTunes, apparently. So it's definitely worth picking up. I think it was $20 when we got it. So Yeah, something like that. It's totally worth it, especially if you're into it. If your kid's into it, you don't have a choice. You're going to have to get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've learned from my nephews. If they love a movie, it will be in their house, and they'll watch it 700 times. Get your money's worth of that movie. Yep, like how Sabrina and I wore out VHS tapes of The Land Before Time when we were kids. Yep. <laughs> and our fun fact of the day is that fireflies, lightning bugs, or as they're more technically known... The family of beetles, Lampyridae, as we know them today, first of all, about 20 million years ago, and they're featured prominently in The Good Dinosaur. So at first I was thinking, uh-oh, that's pretty far from 65 million years ago when it's supposed to maybe take place. I guess they could have been around for another 50 million years or something. But then I found out that there's a proto-firefly that may have evolved as early as 150 million years ago. But that date varies quite a bit from source to source. Some say 66 million years ago, some say 55 million years ago, and then 150 million years ago comes up. So who knows? It could have been mid-Jurassic and most of the dinosaurs would have seen fireflies, or it could have been none of the dinosaurs ever saw a firefly. But there's enough of a unknown there to say that there's a decent chance, at least, that an Apatosaurus or at least some other dinosaurs would have seen fireflies and could have had a really cool scene like they had in The Good Dinosaur where they were walking and fireflies were flying all over the place. Although they didn't have grass when Apatosaurus was there, so it would have been slightly different, but close enough. Replace yep. the grass with uh, cycads and then you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. As always, if you enjoy listening to our podcast, then please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash I Know Dino. Thanks for listening, and until next time.